Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews. I am your host, Chris Lukinenko, and I scour this big brand land of ours, looking under fermenters and behind mash tuns to find the best beer stories to share with you. The Beer Healer Interviews is now available on all major podcast services. If you like the show and want to help out, can I ask you to simply rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast service. Just leave a few words and a rating and the podcast gods will do the rest. By doing this, you'll help others to discover the show more easily and hopefully get more people interested in this great industry that we call craft beer. Joining me today on the line, I have the two co-founders of Batch Brewing, my friends Andrew Chuck Finneran, who's sitting in Marrickville, and Chris Sidwa, all the way from New Jersey. Batch Brewing should be pretty familiar to all of you. This isn't the first time they've appeared on this podcast, and they are from one of Australia's most popular craft beer hotspots, Marrickville. What you may not know about Batch, however, is that they've been going, what's been going on behind the scenes? Over the last 12 months or so, some subtle changes to the business have been made, some of them because of COVID and others due to the state of the market. But I thought it would be really interesting to get the lads on to talk about some of the changes that they're thinking of making and why they're doing it and what it means for the future. So welcome back to the Be Here Interviews, Andrew and Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Lads, it's great to have you here. the uh, listeners won't know that we can now see each other via my new software, but it's so great for you guys to be here and see me in all my glory and you guys in all of your branded clothing that no one's ever going to get to see. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm eyeing up your uh, electronic drum set that you've got sitting behind you. It's totally awesome. It is totally <laughs> awesome. I love it. That was one of my uh, my COVID purchases to help me get through the day uh, working from home. So Nice, yeah. nice. But it's not about me. Now, it's been a while. Uh, I think... Two years since the three of us spoke together, all three of us, back in episode 35, where once again, Chris, Andrew just couldn't get the technical stuff right back then. And again, we've seen it today where he's a bit of a struggling uh, with uh, with technology. So um, let's try and get this, this right today. So let's start with you, Chris. Uh, two kids, COVID, working remotely in Jersey. Is uh, moving back to the States all you dreamed it was going to be? Uh, yeah, not at all. So my my COVID purchase was a grain father. So thankfully <laughs> I'm uh, trying to, to get back into the hobby that spurred this all for me. I'm drinking a nice uh, Ryefield hopped Kolsch style beer right now. Um, just yeah, aiming towards another one of my new passions, which is supremely drinkable beers as opposed to um, what you know, some, some of the stuff that we make in the brewery, which is you know, much more exciting and um, market pleasing. But yeah, my, my palate's gone a little, um, a little toward the mild side, quite frankly. I think you're getting old, mate. That's what it is. Yeah, well, I'll wear that. That's cool. Happens to the best of us. You'll be starting to look for ultimate summer beers like me, my three and a half percent drinkable beers. I love them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Personally, it's, uh, it's definitely about drinkability for me. I think it always has been, I think batch, you know, despite the, the variety that we do put out, uh, we've always had a, a two pint rule. You know, if it's not something you actively want to pursue a second pint of, then um, we'll just leave it in the history books uh, and <laughs> focus enough. on the ones that, yeah, that are a bit more drinkable, even though, you know, we still do make the the hazy IPAs and, and the creme brulee stouts. But um, again, they're still targeting drinkability. And what about you, Chuck? Uh, the last two photos that enter my mind of seeing you on Instagram, one, you're carrying around a small dashhound puppy like in your handbag, and uh, the other one was, I think might have been you in Lycra. What the hell have you been doing in Marrickville? That's Marrickville for you. Where did you see a picture of me in Lycra? <laughs> Accessory dogs in Lycra? Yeah. <laughs> I think your wife might have posted something about you in a bike with Lycra. Oh, oh God. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, hold on. First, Chris, you said you're drinking 
a Ryefield hopped beer? Yeah, the guys sent me over a kilo of their hops from... Um, I don't remember when exactly, but yeah. Oh, right. I thought I thought you actually had some of our beer because I tried to send Chris some beer and it was a fiasco. And then now I've heard through other channels that some of our customers are actually sending Chris beer um, directly nice. because I couldn't... Um, I was unable to make it happen. Tell us about the challenges of trying to send beer to the States. It shouldn't be that hard, should it's it? It's a fucking pain in the ass. In a waste. <laughs> I, yeah, it... We sent this thing through FedEx before Christmas and it was like 500 bucks and then they sent it back. I have, to, I have to say FedEx was really, really nice. They they were very polite. They spoke to me on the phone and talked me through the process and they gave me some names of importers I could call to help me get the beer officially imported. Um, one of which was Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> Thank you, FedEx. Genius. <laughs> I, I'm apparently I, I made the cardinal mistake of actually writing beer uh, on the telling thing. The truth. Yeah, telling the truth. Should have put kombucha yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So tell us about Marrickville these days, mate. What's it like in there now? You know, once upon a time when you guys first started, there was, I don't know, maybe you and Young Henry's or something like that. And now there's 10 of you, is there, in that area? I lost count. Um, yeah. There, there are a lot and there's more uh, opening. Um, it's, it's pretty crowded. It's good. It's interesting because. It's like hard to say because of COVID, it backed off. I mean, not backed off, but like you don't have the the Saturday kind of like brewery crawls uh, that they used to. Oh yeah, Dave's Brewery Tour is no longer. No, they're still going. They're still going. Um, oh cool. Yeah, but they, but it's because everyone has to book and the capacities have been restricted. It's harder for people to kind of get out and do what they want to do. Having said that, um, you know our capacities down to one, uh, back to one and two now. Not down, up. To one and two, yep. um, so we can have a welcome in a lot more people, and which means I think people will start to come back to the area, and and hopefully people do. Like we start to get a lot more uh, people kind of wandering around, doing that, doing the the tour, and uh, trying out different beers, um, and we kind of tend to be like one of the first stops on that as people kind of get off uh, the, the from the train station or whatever, and then they kind of move up down into like move up into uh, Newtown or Merrickville. It's interesting to see. We'll see. We'll see how it bounces bounces back. I'm looking forward to um, this vaccine getting rolled out so that we can kind of stop the <laughs> the stop start. Aren't we all? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it, it's been it's one of those things. Like going into Christmas, uh, our capacity went to one and two, and it was fantastic. Uh, and it was it was almost like old times. Um, you know, no one's standing and drinking, or everyone's still checking in and doing all that stuff. But you know, all of a sudden, like the tasting room was back to some sense of normality and there's a decent amount of people in there enjoying themselves. And then we, you know, went back uh, and then we had the outbreak and it went back again and then all of January. So it's just kind of been like stop, start, stop, start. Um, so we're looking forward to it. Hopefully no more big shutdowns um, going forward yeah. Yeah. and and people, and hopefully people come back and, and when they come back, it'll be a little bit different because there's more stuff happening in this area. So that's good. So how, how have you been filling in your time without your uh, curly headed friend being around? <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, walking around with a dash hand and, and dressing in Lycra uh, randomly, you know, you're a disgrace. <laughs> you're a disgrace. <laughs> we, we talk pretty much every day. I mean, nothing, nothing's really changed. Keeping the love alive. You two. Well, I mean, before we had three locations, you know, we have a, an office and warehouse. We had the, the brewery one and brewery two. So it wasn't a lot of times that we were in the same place at the same time anyway. Yeah. Um, so now it's just a question of, you know, just making sure we, um, we can make the time zones line up, which, you know, have a, pretty much a standing call at my 8 p.m. You guys is 12 p.m. every day and get on with the business at hand. Yeah, I think I think we actually talk more now. 
than we did when he was here, potentially. Oh, it's so sweet. So sweet. <laughs> hey, um, let's go back about 12 or 18 months, um, probably prior to COVID. I know in, in talking to you, Chuck, uh, you were talking about the next phase of Batch. You know, we, we had a bit of a chat at Petersham two years ago, I reckon, where you just yeah. sort of put that into place and that sort of marked the start of moving away from what was effectively a brew pub, if you like, and, you know, that was pumping out heaps and heaps of different beers to then sort of shifting some of that experimentation into Petersham. But, you know, that was probably never going to be the end point for you guys. What what sort of sparked, you know, the idea to say, okay, if we're going to be a business, you know, 10 years into the future and be really successful, we've got to make some some changes. What what sparked that conversation? I would say ambition. I mean, just to not, not to put too fine a point on it, Chris, I don't mean to, to talk over you, but it wasn't so much that we decided we need to make changes for the sake of the business, for the existence of the business. I mean, the thing's humming along just fine. Um, we, we just get to certain points where you, you know, you add a few bodies to the team, you go out and you try to pursue some new distribution. Um, things get more expensive because of that. Uh, and then you have to, you know, to get it done, you gotta, you gotta get those sales in. Um, and shifting over to Petersham meant that, you know, we could focus our, our production at Merrickville. You know, we went from swing tags on bottles to cans wrapped in labels to, to pre-printed cans. Like these are all things that just streamline our production, make things more efficient, make the team more efficient. And mind you, we, we did all that within the space of, I mean, I think this time last year, we were still doing bottles. So I think, and then by, um, by July, doing bottles. It was pretty quick. Six 40 mil bottles and four 40 mil cans. And then by July, it was all uh, 375. Oh, I, I seem to remember it being sort of in the thick of COVID that we were talking and that, that all bloody happened. Well, yeah, it was. It, we had been kind of talking about it and looking at it from an accounting perspective, you know, it, 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 like the cans, the shipping, like a whole bunch of stuff. It was actually just costing a lot of money. I'd like the, and the 440 mils were. Um, it's a pretty steep premium on those cans. Yeah, those cans are really expensive. And we started looking at it and being like, we can actually, and we were trying to be different and we wanted to stick out and be different with the 440 mils, but we kind of realized that we can, if we can give our customers or consumers better value by um, delivering a cheaper four pack on shelf um, of 375 mils, so that's better for yep. everyone. Um, but also, uh, you know, we can pre print. Um, the cans and we can get them quickly from Vizzy. Whereas um, for 40 mils from Vizzy, they only print once every um, quarter. If that, sometimes they push it back. Oh, right. So it was yeah, just, okay. um, we were really hamstrung by um, what we could and couldn't do. Um, and then, you know, it just, it, it kind of felt like it was time for us to go into a bit more of a standardized uh, format um, from that perspective. And from shipping, it kind of, it all kind of helped, helped us, um, kind of work it out. And then, yeah, again, but it was, it was about being able to look better on shelf and also just deliver something to customers that was, um, a little bit, uh, potentially better value. But also like the other thing is some people are saying, Oh, they're drinking four forty mils and it's getting warm towards the end. So like, we're kind of like, okay, well, Oh yeah. I've never had that problem personally, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I never really had too much of it, but I was like, well, we should we go to three seventy five mils and the experience becomes a little bit better. And, um, there's, so there's a whole bunch of reasons and, you know, like yeah. we don't, it's, it's interesting because I guess during going into COVID, you know, you have all this uncertainty and all this crazy shit happening. And basically, um, I don't know, there's just no choice, but to just turn up the notch on everything a bit and just get some stuff done that we have been talking about doing. So, um, yeah. we, and, and that was good because it kept everybody focused and busy, uh, during this time where, when we, um, you know, you didn't know what was going on. 
Just a quickie to let you know how you can help spread the stories of the great people that I talk to on the show. It's all about the socials. If you like an episode, you can share my announcement of it on Instagram, to your story, or to your Facebook feed, or even just leave a thumbs up emoji comment, or maybe tag a friend. It all helps. And of course, it's all about the Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. It's the gold standard for helping people to discover the show. Leave a review, and I'll post it on my Instagram feed. Thanks very much for your support. We were talking a little bit earlier off off the mic about getting to that position as a brewery where you've started off as a brew pub, you bring in the second um, venue, made some changes, you're a little bit bigger, but you're not quite to the size of, say, a Black Ops or a Bolter or something like that where they become sort of a, a production brewery, if you like. You're caught somewhere in the middle. And you hear stories of people getting caught in that no man's land in the middle and not sure whether they need to go backwards and start to go back to the benefits of being a brew pub or, you know, go all in even further and really head more towards that production brewery or doing things along those lines to help you sell more volume. Did you feel like you guys were sort of trapped in that middle as well? Uh, well, all I'm going to say is, two, I was just going to say uh, yeah, a little. Yeah, it's weird. Yep. It is what you what you described is is definitely something where you're like, okay, we either have to keep doing this or we scale it back and and be smaller. But but yeah, Chris, go on. Trying to to pick the products that you you want to do in a high enough volume to to get some efficiencies to be competitive is was hard because you know our our background has always been to make creative beers that you know suited what we wanted to drink and what we thought our you know consumers and the local culture wanted at that time you know be it seasonality or just as 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 um palettes change whatever we you know we tried to stay along with or out in front of of you know where that where the culture was heading um and then trying to pick some favorites to 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 scale up into bigger production you know it's it's hard when you when you've just done years and years and years of being creative to just focus in on one thing. And, and we, we built our business around, around the creativity. I mean, we've got 14 fermenters in, in one facility, you've got 10 fermenters in the other facility, you know, and then, you know, you get brewers who come into our place and they take a look around and they go, how the hell does this, does this place work? It, it just <laughs> doesn't line up to the standard business model. Um, and we never set out to be the standard business model. I mean, when we started, we wanted to change things and, you know, we've continued to to shape the, uh, the local culture a little bit by, you know, by doing what we do and offering what we offer. So we've always wanted to keep that. Um, Peter Shim allowed us to do that, even as we did try to scale up some of our beers at, at Marrickville. Um, so yeah, I mean, were we getting trapped? I mean, not really. We still had the out, the creative outlet, the brewers are still having an absolute blast, um, coming up with, with all kinds of fun things, but it, yeah, I mean the market operates in a certain way, and you can either fit in or you can uh, make your own market. I guess. Yeah. So. You talk about those uh, those beers that you want to pump a bit more volume out of. Is the problem that in doing that you're then going to be going up against some of the beers coming from I don't know a Brick Lane, a Black Ops, a Bolt, or whatever, who have already got that, who can then make a similar liquid at a much cheaper price to what you guys are then trying to achieve. So therefore you've got, you're getting squeezed at the venues and bottle shops and that sort of thing for, for that very small um, profit margin. Absolutely. Like I look at it as a funnel and at the bottom of the funnel, there are some really, um, really keen avid, you know, beer fans who love 
the, the, the wild and wacky and they love the new flavors and they care about the story and they want to know about, you know, the farmers that we're getting our malt from. And then as you go up the funnel and the volume becomes wider and wider, those people who are on the next tier up, they, they don't necessarily, they're not that interested. So, you know, when it comes to, you know, what, what they're shopping for, they're not seeking us out because they read our Instagram story about the organic malt that we're getting. They're, they're just looking for price, right? So as you go up that funnel to wider and wider distribution, you're competing with other brewers who, you know, are throwing their beers together in the ways that, that suit them, which, you know, because of their systems and the size of it and the raw materials that they choose to use, their price point is just cheaper. So we definitely have to have to fight a bit harder uh, and make sure that our story is, is heard and understood. And, and then, yeah, it's up to the market to decide whether or not they care, quite frankly. Did you ever think of doubling down on the old original idea of batch and turning yourself into a deeds, a range, a mountain culture sort of thing where you've got these hyped up beers, big ABVs, you know, high dry hopping rates and those sorts of things coming out almost, it almost feels like weekly. Was that ever on the cars, do you think? Well, I think, well, I think, I think that's what we're doing now, but we're just not doing, I don't, I don't think right now we're hitting the, uh, we're no. not on the hype train basically. Like, so- we, we certainly don't make hazies a priority. They're they're part of our portfolio, but a very small part. Yeah, so I think like right now we're still like since we opened up small batch, we're doing like we before small batch we were doing a new beer like every ten days. Now we're doing a new beer yep. like every five days. But but to Chris's point, like a lot of them are a little. You know, we we are doing pastry stouts. So we got an awesome Cranberry pastry stout that's going to come out uh, next month. Uh, we've got a new release of Juicy Boys Double Dry Hop Nipa that's going to come out with all new hops. I think. I think we've got cryo hops and stuff in oh, there, yeah. which is like all the rage at the moment. And there's a few other, there's a few other big ones, uh, big styles that we're doing. Um, we got some really good Easter, like an Easter kind of like portfolio coming out that I, I think will hit the mark with, uh, from an Easter perspective, like chalk orange, like all that kind of stuff. But none of it's huge styles and huge beers. And the reason why is just because it's that two pint rule and that little bit of sessionability. Like it's not. For us, we we kind of want to be able to have a few of them. So, like where we've got the double dry hop NEPA in our in our portfolio, we just haven't prioritized it. And whether that's um, our fault from a business perspective or not, like I guess that's yet to be determined. But I think um, I just I think our heart and soul is not in uh, in those styles of beers. E- even the brewers, like they like them and they, they get excited about them and stuff like that. But I think we, when we come back to it, all of us kind of want to have something that we can, we can have, we can drink a few of. So that's kind of where we end up doing that. And it feels good. It feels right from, from our perspective. Cause we, you know, it's, it's something that we all kind of get behind and drink. Yeah. I think, I think what, what drives us is, uh, is it less about what the, you know, the pointy end of the craft beer world is doing and more about the other influences in our, in our own personal lives. Um, one of my other COVID purchases yeah. was a smoker. Um, oh, so I've been yeah. smoking ribs and pork shoulders and, and, and salmon. Uh, and one of the most amazing things with salmon is, um, is chucking some citrus peel down there into the, into the firebox and getting the smoked citrus flavor up into the meat. Uh, and then we took that to a beer and that smoked citrus beer is going to be launched at the sour fest in a couple, in a week and a half or next weekend, rather. Um, the guys are super psyched about that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we do that gets our brewers very excited. 
and hazy just isn't part of it. The only caveat I will say is hazy pales, I think, and I want to get back on a sour season, but hazy pales, a little bit more of interest to me. And like Chris and I were talking about that this morning, constantly saying, well, we're, we're, we're exploring some options there. And, you know, I think there is, there is something that we could probably do because there is a bit more of a sessionability yep. aspect to it. Um, uh, so, you know, hazy, but like the big kind of the huge ABV kind of stuff is. Um, I was, before you go into sours, I was going to say, it, are those big beers at your current format and set up with the two breweries, are they actually cost prohibitive to produce for you? They're expensive. There's a lot of waste. I mean, we, we, we don't filter anything. Um, so our average net from a, from a, tw- a 10 barrel 12 pack batch is 1,050 liters. Um, when we're doing a hazy, it comes down to like 800 or something. Oh, really? I mean, yeah, the guys, okay. the, the leader, the grams per yeah. liter, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying we do anything more than anybody else. I'm sure we're not, but any brewer will tell you that those beers just suck the life out of your fermenter. And, and, you know, the cost of production gets divided by the number of kegs. And when the number of kegs drops by four or five, like the fucking yeah. price goes up. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're expensive to make. And then the other thing, but I mean, but we, we have to price them accordingly and then people do buy them. They are expecting to pay more for them, but it's just for us. Like we don't have, we don't, cause we're small. We still don't have the distribution network to move huge amounts of volume yep. of that anyway. Um, to your point before, and like not not the, the size we are, because we decided to go smaller at, with small batch instead of bigger, but um, and building a bigger brewery. But we 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 kind of have like I've been saying it for years that we want to really do a whole bunch of stuff on sours, and, and we've kept on doing that because there's a lot of interest from well, me, and then um, you know everybody else in the business um, is kind of behind this because there's so many cool iterations we can we can do with that. Um, and I, and I really, I, you know, and I feel like, um, right now, like pastry stouts and, um, and you know, the big double dry hop meepas and stuff like that are, are popular and seltzers have become popular, but I kind of feel like at some point, um, that sours are really going to, to, to take off out of that somewhere. And, and you know, this, the seltzer kind of craze, people want to come back to a beer at some point. Um, and a sour, a fruited sour, or even just a Berliner Weiss or whatever, like I think will um, will kind of suit people's palates with that tartness instead of yep. uh, bitterness. Well, or you just got to bring out the chapeau all year round because oh my god, I love that beer. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think we could probably do that, but I think that it, we want to keep that kind of specialness. It's a nice Christmas thing, isn't it? Yeah. But but the um, but what I did realize, like as I was, I think there is a place for a quarterly quarterly release on really big ABV um, sours. So like I think that's like for us, like maybe that's where we kind of enter that kind of like that yep. really big ABV yep. kind of thing. I think we need to do um, a little bit more of that. Um, whether it's that somewhere in the six to eight percent. That, that gets me excited personally because. I- I mean, the big punnet that we used to do as a fantastic beer, uh, mix that with some Elsie and you've got absolute magic. Like, <laughs> It's a Sidwa special. Sidwa special. Just, yeah. Hazy IPAs just don't don't get me out of bed. Having said that, I do have a can of, of as I showed Chris a minute ago. This is a bit of a humble it, brag, a heady topper on the camera if you yeah, can't no, see it right now. see this because it's a podcast. Yeah. But, um it's made its way down to New Jersey three times since COVID started. I don't know if Vermonters just stopped drinking beer or if there's something going on with their production. Um, but whenever it gets down here, it gets gobbled up super quick. And I <laughs> love that beer, but some of this hazy stuff that people are making now is just not, just doesn't work for me. Actually on that, I've been meaning to talk to you about the, 
about Big Punnett and putting that in the schedule. We just have to lock yeah, down the absolutely. ABV. Cool. You guys just chat amongst yourselves. Hey, um, I just, uh, yeah. you know, I've, I've always been um, a big advocate for mentors in business. I, sadly for me, my mentors just left my my current uh, company, which is a, a bit shit for me. But um, how, do, how do you guys see the role of mentors in what you've been doing? Because I know you, like, Andrew, you're a marketing genius. Chris, you're a fucking finance whiz. Um, you've both got really great skills, but they're also skills that you don't have. Did you, during this last sort of two-year period, did you recognize in yourselves that you needed to um, beef up some skills in certain areas and that maybe someone from outside the business was best to bring in and help coach, mentor you along? Yeah, well, I think um, uh, going into COVID, um, Will Young uh, approached us. Um, on a random day, I don't know if COVID had already started or it was just about to kick off. But um, the you know co-owner or, not, or the founder and owner of Campos, uh, he came in and he's kind of been through um, you know a lot of similar experiences in building um, his business into kind of what we're going through, and 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 in a business that's actually extremely similar in terms of how often they put out new and different um, styles of coffee. Um, and his kind of commitment to sourcing good quality, uh, beans where for us, um, it's, you know, about malt, uh, sourcing good quality barley and malt. Um, and so he, so we kind of welcomed him in and he's, you know, he's in the business, um, now kind of in an advisory role. Um, and it's, it's been really good to be able to bounce, um, these, our current situation off of him. <laughs> there him goes being, the <laughs> <laughs> um, Our current situation off of him uh, and him being able to kind of say, well, this, I've been through that actually. This is, this is how we did it. And this is and it's like a fresh bag of weed. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So I think for us, that's been, that's been kind of, it's been really, good and refreshing to have someone kind of in helping us, um, advise. And he's been part of this process of, you know, our next step on plans and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, He's, he's really just a fire. He's really just woken us up to, you know, we, we, we've been having an absolute blast for the last seven years. Um, COVID aside, like it's been like the journey of a lifetime, but, um, you get so stuck on, you know, trying to make beer and, and new flavors and, and have fun. Sometimes you forget that, you can actually make some money too, if you focus. So, um, so he's reminded us that, um, yeah, it's a business and, uh, to look forward, you know, not just to look like to tomorrow or next week and trying to, you know, sell what's in the tanks, but to actually think about it as, you know, multiples on growth and, Chuck, remember when you used to look after Forex Gold all those years ago? We used to talk about a Forex Gold epiphany. Have you had a, uh, a batch brewing epiphany (laughs) with this? Well, yeah, we kind of have, I think. Um, and I, I think that's kind of where, I mean, it's not my epiphany, uh, solely, but it's, it's, it, it it's the idea that of these plans going forward now, it's kind of like basically, and, and it's, it's all kind of folds in on itself. So Chris's point, I'm looking at like the next day and kind of waking us up, um, you, you have someone kind of coming into your business and all of a sudden saying, actually what you guys do is really special and really great. Like I want to be a part of this. And, um, but you were looking at back and like, but what we think you do is really awesome. And so but someone's kind of actually sitting there saying to us that they think that, um, we could actually kind of do something really special, um, with this. Um, uh, and that, that's, that really, that's really, um, 
it's a really positive experience and also just gives you a lot of confidence to kind of sit there and say, okay, cool, we can do something. So I think the, the, the epiphany for us is kind of all this stuff kind of, um, you just take a picture. Of. Um, the, the epiphany that we've kind of had with this is, is all those things, uh, that we were talking about earlier with, um, uh, you know, being small and then getting big. Um, and you know, what do you do? Um, and there's these decisions you have to make, whether you kind of sit there and say, okay, well, we'll scale everything back and kind of run a smaller operation. And therefore we just kind of do more of a brew pub style thing. Or, um, do we want to go and build a really big brewery and sell to everyone, um, in Australia, um, and the world, um, and you know, off we go. And we're not on that second option by any means, but where we've kind of landed is like this, this idea that we can keep doing what we want to do and keep on putting out new and different beers and still expand at the same time and really kind of keep that ethos of what we've, um, we've tried to set out to do without like, without kind of, uh, I guess, uh, giving, not giving in, but like kind of, um, going into the same kind of cycle, um, that everyone else does. Now we do have to kind of streamline some operations and that, that, that stuff's going to happen. But if we start to expand our distribution network and our retail footprint and all that kind of stuff, well, then that's for us, that's like a really good opportunity to, to, to have solid growth and kind of give more people an experience in batch. So that's kind of the, the advent of this, um, the, the hub and spoke model kind of, um, which is what we're looking at doing now. Um, which I think is really exciting. You need money to do that. But we need money. Yeah. Our wives have said no more, <laughs> no more money. We're sick of mortgaging the house to, for you to follow your bloody beer dreams. We need to bring some others in. So, so well, to Andrew's point, yeah, we do need money. Um, there was a, a number of very gracious people who helped us get started, um, the present company included. And, uh, <laughs> and at this point, yeah, I mean, we've funded everything outside of, you know, the, um, the, the 15 or sorry, 15% of the business that we sold to 10 individuals. Yep. Um, yeah, else on, yeah, on that point, it's, it's, it's been, it's been pretty awesome. Like I, I don't think I've ever hidden from the fact that I love you guys and what you're doing at batch, but I don't think I've ever really sort of openly said, okay, I'm a, a minor shareholder in it. You know, my whole thing was I always just wanted to try and be part of something in the brewing industry. Um, you know, a few times I've been, I've copped some shit for having opinions or whatever, and not having skin in the game, and maybe then I've dropped the fact that I do have a little bit of skin in there. Um, but just being, when someone says, oh, "What do you do?" Oh, blah blah blah, and I own a bit of a brewery. I mean, that's that's kind of cool. So I, yeah. So this is a really a really cool thing to be a part of with what you guys have done so far. And as a shareholder, if you like, um, I'm excited about the next steps. So where are we getting this extra money from, uh, business partners? Well, first you have to sell that drum set in the background. I think that's worth at least fifteen thousand bucks. There you go. There's, there's one chunk. Three hundred for it, I think. So maybe not. <laughs> I'm a little, a little more. We've we've decided we've decided on a growth plan that is is far more ambitious than than what we can fund ourselves. Um, yes. I, I bought a house when I moved to New Jersey, and I don't have any money anymore, so I can no longer <laughs> fund things like additional fermenters and and um, and packaging lines. Um, so so yeah, so now we're you know going to do what the rest of the industry has had to do do from the start, which is go out with our hat in hand and, uh, and, and sell our case to the, to the public. So we will very shortly be launching an equity crowdfunding campaign, um, looking to raise enough money to, to take, uh, what we love to do to more people. And that's, 
you know, that's really it. It's not, um, it's definitely about making money. I mean, if you're not making money, then, then why do it? Uh, yep. Agreed. So, you know, yep. Why, why bring people in? Just keep it, you know, a partnership. Um, but yeah, I mean, being able to, to control our destiny, to control uh, a little bit more of our distribution, um, diversify a little bit in terms of how we reach the market, uh, and, and continue to do what we do, which is make and create lots of great, great flavor experiences and control that process straight through to the, to the point of the, uh, the drinker. Um, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna cost and you. Yeah. You've gone into partnership or, you know, um, brought someone in to help you with this because it's not going to say it's not your area of expertise, is it, to uh, to crowdfund something? Yeah. No, we, yeah, we've we've signed up with an intermediary who will manage the process along with us and make sure we don't do anything stupid or illegal, um, and also just you know make sure that the offer that we're offering the market is is absolutely fair uh, and realistic, and uh, and that's the, I think the thing I'm most excited about. Not only are we going to get to keep doing our thing the way we do it and not you know bend to to the to the existing distribution channels, but what gives you the confidence to think that people are going to want to part with their hard earned for a brewery? Because there's been a few in the past twelve months that have had a crack at this. I think Brewdog have done one recently that didn't go real great. There's a couple of other sort of in and around there. What yeah. what gives you the confidence that you can you can do it? First of all, um, we we are going at it with a pragmatic approach in terms of valuation and offering um, good value uh, to consumers when they so they can buy in. So there's there there's that, and I, I don't want to say too much about what uh, like yeah what Brewdog's done or anything like that. But we or, or the others, but we're a profitable business yep. um, that um, that just needs a little bit of extra help to be even more profitable. Um, so there's a lot of value in return for those for for people who do decide to come in now um and we're very conscious of that we want to make sure that um we we can we can show that so i mean we will be investing back in the business um to help streamline our current processes but then expanding into tap rooms and, and that sort of thing and 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 that that's also why people want to potentially uh come on board is because they want to be able to there's a there's a raft of feedback that i've gotten personally um of people who just want to be able to experience our brand um, and, but that might not be able to come to Merrickville. Yeah. Yep. So, um, can we, can we take that experience to them, uh, in their local neighborhood, um, and, and kind of exist, um, and give them that, ex- like that, the, the ethos that we kind of have already brought to the table in two, two venues and kind of have that experience and be their local, their local place to grab a beer, um, you know, uh, during the week or the weekend. So I think there's a lot of interest for people to, um, to, to kind of get it and be a part of that. And, and we, we want to take out this, the, that local kind of community vibe that we've been trying to, to, um, to create uh, with this brand and these breweries um, and kind of take it to the next level and actually just extend ourselves further out into the community. And I think that people will respond to that well. So hopefully, hopefully that's a reason. Well, they have, they have in the local area, haven't they? So yeah. Yeah. The, the beautiful thing about the, the, the craft beer world that we're in is, you know, even though we don't necessarily play to the hypey end of the market, um, we do get fantastic feedback from the folks who do come to visit us. And we don't need to, to you know, dethrone, um, you know, Forex in order to, to be profitable. <laughs> like we, we only need to chip away at, you know, um, a little bit of, of, you know, consumer wallet to have an exceptionally uh, successful business. So it's, you know, it's about making sure our offering continues to be strong and we don't get overly ambitious and, you know, 
you know, we're not going to need to put in massive tanks that mean you know, we're being driven by, by our uh, overheads. We're, we're going to continue to make smart decisions, smart investments, um, you know, milk the investments we've made already, but just, you know, have another distribution channel beyond the, you know, major grocery, independent bottle shops, et cetera. Um, which was also, you know, far more profitable for us. But at the end of the day, you know, the fewer people involved in getting the beer to the drinker, you know, that means the more money that stays in our pocket. And you get direct feedback too over the tap, don't you? That's good. Well, and look, you're certainly in good hands with uh, with Will from Campos because, you know, Campos has effectively done similar, haven't they? They've been very successful at it. They, they have. They have. Um, you know, <laughs> Just coming back to the, the crowdfunding concept for us, you know, the, I think the major thing that I take away from this, you know, learnings that I've gone through is that equity crowdfunding, the way it's run in Australia is, is, is fantastic. It's not a fan club um, in the States and some other places, you know, you're really not getting much for your uh, investment other than, you know, bragging rights and, and bragging yeah. rights are fun and that's great. But, you know, what, what we, are going to offer people is, is, is that plus a real return? I mean, yes, we might massively fuck it up. Uh, there's always that risk involved in any investment, but, um, at the same time, our, our goal is to give people real value creation as we've done with our initial shareholders. I mean, some of them have been able to exit at, you know, three times multiple. So, yeah, nice. you know, we, we hope that we expect that, um, the folks that come on this time around. What's that? Can oh. you see on, on the screen here, listeners, I'm holding up my Equity for Punks <laughs> shareholder from about, I don't know, it might be 10 years ago. It's actually one in, in England. Uh, <laughs> I jumped on with the mates. So let's, oh, let's get on BrewDog <laughs> back before they turned out to be maybe something that they're not. But, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying there. Like in other countries, um, doing this doesn't mean the same things it does in Australia. In Australia, you're actually getting a slice of something. Over there, as you say, I've just got a membership card that allows me to get a pint if I ever go into a BrewDog bar once a month in England or something like that. And there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. And But for me, when you know when we started talking about where we're we going to get the money from, um, crowdfunding to me always was a fan club, but equity crowdfunding as it's, as it's written in the legislation here in Australia is yep. or over there in Australia is, uh, is, is something different and that's completely changed my mind on the, on the process and the concept. And I mean, we're stoked yep. to be able to access, uh, this, this, you know, uh, market, um, having, having, you know, 500 or a thousand really motivated, um, people who support us is, is fantastic as well. Um, then, you know, they're going to be out there, you know, telling their neighbors how great our beer is because because they're super keen and, and that's just going to spread the word and help make distribution easier going forward as well. You know, know what I feel like for you guys, you know, this has been going on seven years. It's it's hard to stay in the one job for seven years and still remain excited. Like this whole thing is going to bring a whole lot of new energy into the business. That's what I'm feeling. Yeah, I think you're I think, yeah, at 100% will. And that's, that's, that's what's like one of the most exciting things about it because it's, you know, I guess we're, you know, again, going back to that thing, you have to make the decision whether you kind of, what do you do? Do you kind of, kind of stay where you are? Do you move forward and moving forwards um, without having to take over the world? I think it's great and it's exciting. It means we're kind of constantly challenging ourselves um, and how we operate. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I personally like to, like to keep <laughs> moving. So, for me, this is for me. It's exciting um, to to do this. Um, 
and it's a good it's a good little not little but it's a big project but a good big project to um to sink our teeth into and hopefully we hopefully it's successful that i'm, a, I'm shitting myself a little bit on that part like it's kind of like i think i think we'll do well but it's also at the same time it's like oh shit man what it's if, a very it's a very public failure yeah, if it, it doesn't, doesn't go, go well, well. Sure. <laughs> yes yes yeah yeah because this podcast goes out to about a million people so you know uh this podcast alone will will shame on you if you fail but i've uh I've got every, I've got every cover. As I said, I've known you guys for, well, Andrew, you for about over ten years, and and Chris, you for the last seven. Uh, I've got every confidence in you too because I've seen the way you operate, batch, and I and I've seen what it came from. That first time I ever went into uh, Chuck's uh, basement and tried that pale ale, which wasn't great. Let's be honest. At the um, back of the home, home, it wasn't the best. Got to be honest, uh, and uh, to see what has come from there. Uh, to now, it's it's pretty actually amazing. So, hey, Chris, uh, there's uh, something I forgot to add. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I think the it, it, what is exciting about the hub and spoke model is that we um, in, in all this in in our growth plan decision. So we we wanted to kind of um, keep it local still. So we're gonna if we can raise. Um, enough money, we'll start three venues in New South Wales somewhere. We, th- those, those locations are yet to be determined because that will be um, you know, told to us by whoever people who are investing, our current crowd base. So we, want, we basically want to go out and figure out you know, where do people want to drink us. So we're going to try and do our best to, um, to, to identify where those locations are then go. Um, if that works... Um, this is where, this is where the, the really exciting stuff... I mean, this is really, that's really exciting on its own. But if that works... The, the next phase is to then kind of take the hub and spoke model kind of to the next level and kind of go interstate, maybe with a brew pub and then three or four venues that kind of feed off that. And then um, still sending core range kind of stuff from a central location probably, but um, being able to kind of really kind of just keep uh, that, that kind of local vibe kind of going and still brewing in those, in those locations and then feeding into the smaller little neighborhood tap rooms. I think, I think there's, something really exciting about that. And then we, if we do that, we kind of keep to this kind of staying small and beautiful while at the same time growing. Um, and, and the challenge in that is like, how do you, how do you just, how do you keep creating and new, doing all these new and different beers? But that's like, we've, that's the challenge that we kind of want to put ourselves up for is just to kind of keep doing that. Um, and so, um, you know, and, and, and I think that people who are in our team, that we we all want to kind of keep that creativity and kind of keep it alive. So I think it's I think there's a lot of exciting stuff that could come out of it. So yeah, phase one, New South Wales. Phase two, Tasmania, somewhere else, <laughs> or Tasmania. Tasmania could be it. Nice stuff. New Jersey. You could be our uh, yeah, New Jersey. There's there's a lot of opportunity. There's um, but like I think that the thing is we're kind of thinking about even now, kind of thinking about what if this goes well and we can manage it well and partner and or partner with the right people to help us make it happen, then how do we, um, um, yeah, how can we kind of leapfrog it from there? Um, so yeah. And that might, that might mean another capital raise, um, at that point. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Everybody gets to have in a pickle in their local community. Yeah. Then everybody can have, yeah. In a pickle for everyone (laughs) every day. Got every confidence in you lads, uh, wishing you and your shareholders, me all the best, uh, in a successful raise because, um, yeah, be really, really keen to see how um, how you take this thing with this hub and spoke model and, and where it can go to from here. So, thanks for joining me from uh, New Jersey tonight and uh, from Marrickville today. Uh, it's been a great chat. 
Uh, take it easy, guys. Cheers to great beers. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have an interesting beer story and want to be a guest on the Beer Healer interviews, send me a message via my Facebook page. And once again, if you want to help out the show, a simple rate and review on Apple Podcasts or a follow, like or share on any other podcast service will do the trick. I'll catch you soon.